you're going to start to see more localized manufacturing in Asia. You're going to see more localized manufacturing in Europe and even in, in North America, where the idea being is that it will be more cost effective and more sustainable in nature to be able to produce something much closer to the end consumer. And then also from a delivery standpoint, you'd be able to hit kind of those goals. And so that's what we're really looking at. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Sustainability and ethical sourcing have been big topics in the retail world, but one category in particular that's been seeing a lot of movement is furniture. And that's because companies like Model Number have come along. Philip Robb, who's the CEO of Model Number, spoke at Retail X. So I wanted to take some time with him to see what's new with the business, how the company's mission is driving its decisions, and what new investments they're making in the way of fulfillment, customer experience, and even marketplaces. Yep, you heard that right. It's clear from our conversation that sustainability isn't just some marketing flash in the pan and certainly isn't a fad. Hear how model number is turning sustainability into a competitive advantage. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of the Retail Remix podcast. I'm Alicia, and I have with me right now at Retail X on the floor, masked up, ready to go, Philip Robb, who is the CEO of Model Number. Thank you so much for taking the time. Great to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. So your company has been doing a lot of very cool and innovative things in the space, but for folks who don't know Model Number, why don't you share a little bit about what you do, what your mission is? I think that'll help set a foundation for our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, thanks for the recognition. We definitely are, I think, on a um, trying to pave our own kind of path and, and uh, have a really unique mission. And I think that's really to eliminate as much waste in the furniture and fixture industry as possible. I mean, if you look at today, just the the amount of waste and furniture, both from home furnishings as well as kind of enterprise, like commercial office furniture that ends up in landfills, it's it's disgusting. But at the same time, I think people also don't realize that their products in their home are off-gassing. So there's so many toxins and just other elements within people's furniture that they're unaware of. And I think what we're just trying to do is kind of bring light to that and then also kind of change the industry and the way that we manufacture goods, the things, the materials that go into the products. So we're using agricultural or kind of plant resin to 3D print products, as well as using all sustainably farmed and recyclable materials to make our furniture, as well as manufacturing everything domestically to cut back on the uh, carbon footprint. It's really incredible, I think, the not just the mission itself, but how you're actually delivering upon that mission. And I'm sure there are a good number of consumers that are very in the know about these issues. You know, maybe they're very passionate about sustainability, green living. Others, maybe they want to do some good or want to be more conscious of the things that they are buying and the things in their home, but maybe don't. So I guess my, my big question for you is, how are you attempting to raise awareness and kind of close that knowledge gap, keeping in mind, too, that furniture is a very considered 
purchase, right? It requires a lot of research, a lot of comparison, and plus there's this whole other added layer into the process. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has been challenging, right? So, I mean, as a young brand selling items that are not $50, $100 price point that you can just go ahead and impulse purchase, you know, because you see something on, on Instagram or something in your ad feed, it's challenging, especially too, to date, we don't have any physical locations. And so we've been really trying to kind of get that message out you know, through our own web properties and really improving the, the storefront on our website, trying to you know, do as many press opportunities as possible to get and build that awareness. And then we think you know, eventually you build that word of mouth of individuals and people start talking about our mission and the things that we're trying to do. But one of the things that I'm working very closely on the team with is as well as you know, we're starting to explore what physical retail could look like in the future because it's really important, as you mentioned, you know, it, it is, it's a considered purchase. And so it has a very tactile kind of you know, feel to it, especially the things that we 3D print. So we do CNC fabrication for more of our wood items, but uh, a lot of the 3D printed items, I mean, the idea of saying, oh, like, you want me to sit on something that's 3D printed? I'm not really sure. That sounds kind of odd. I've never heard it before. Everything I've seen the 3D printing is, it seems it's very flimsy. Is it going to be sturdy enough? And so, you know, we're really kind of tackling that. And so there's a lot of things on our site that we needed to be very cognizant of and making sure that you have really kind of strong photography, that the, the, the messaging is, is really powerful. And so there's a lot of, I think, uphill kind of challenges that we have. To, uh, you know, we're really kind of just chipping away at it kind of one thing at a time and uh, really excited for what we're going to be rolling out later this year as well as even into next year. Excellent. Very cryptic. I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. There are some cryptic elements to it. Um, you know, what I can say, as I mentioned, uh, you know, we'll, um, we are, are looking at physical retail. I have a strong background. Uh, you know, the last company uh, that I founded, you know, at one point we had over you know, 30 retail outlets. So I really believe in the power of experience. And so we'll definitely be making some strides there. But we're also going to be launching, I think, product that's going to um, turn some heads for sure. Excellent. Very exciting. So let's dig into the now, some of the investments and innovations that have been extremely exciting, I think, for just the general category that you're in. The main area, you know, when I think about the pain points of the furniture, not just purchasing experience, but the fulfillment experience, is that fulfillment piece. It's getting the product at a reasonable time, how you want it, it's all in good condition, it looks like it looked online or in the store, and then of course, setup. So big pain point, but also big opportunity. So what are the moves that model number has, has made in the fulfillment space that are notable? Yeah, if you look at the supply chain right now for furniture, I mean, it's a dumpster fire. I mean, it, like it literally is. I mean, you you know, the horror stories of people that you know, order sofas and they're like, oh, hey, yeah, you're gonna get that in like six months to a year. It's so funny because we live in a culture right now that's like if you don't have something delivered in like less than two hours, you're like, where is it? Where is it? You know, and then it's like, oh, hey, by the way, you just order this thing and you'll get it a year from now. And everyone's like, okay. You know, and it's like, right. wait, wait a they second. They don't think you're, twice, yeah. No, and, and part of the problem is, is that I think we as consumers have, it's twofold. I, I look at it, one is, is the things, you know, we're always kind of saying, I want something cheaper, 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 right? And so then what ended up happening was there was just this push to say, okay, well, we need to start you know, producing everything offshore. And if you look at, you know, the in the United States, you had a thriving textile industry that existed years ago, right? You had a thriving furniture industry, which existed in North Carolina, maybe only a generation ago. All that stuff is gone. And so I think what's happening now is that we're so reliant and, you know, the 
on things that are, are made offshore. And I think it's even, it's not just, when I say domestically, it's, you know, it's domestic for, the, for, I think, the U.S. market, but I think you're going to start to see more localized manufacturing in Asia. You're going to see more localized manufacturing in Europe and even in, in, in North America, where the idea being is that it will be more cost-effective and more sustainable in nature to be able to produce something much closer to the end consumer and then also from a delivery standpoint, you'd be able to hit kind of those goals. And so that's what we're really looking at. You know, so today we recently launched, uh, I think it was back in, in May, our first micro factory in Oakland, California. And so really the, the premise is, is that we want to be able to have a micro factory pretty much in every major market in the United States, which means that we would ship raw materials and then everything's made to order. So if you place an order, we're here in Chicago, right? So if you place an order here in Chicago and that would then get fulfilled out of a micro factory somewhere in Illinois, maybe you know, within 50, 100 miles of you know, where the order is being placed. We see that as the future of kind of manufacturing. And I don't think it's just furniture. I think you're going to start to see that with a lot of different products, right? It, you know, this whole notion of kind of like farm to table, but bringing it to, to other products where the raw materials get shipped to a factory, especially as automation becomes more prevalent it could become cheaper than it would be to what happens when you put it on a boat, bring it into a dock, then it has to go to a distribution center. And then from the distribution center, it's just not an efficient way of, I think, doing things, especially with the amount of technology that exists today. Right. I'm glad you brought up technology because we've talked about 3D printing, that this notion of the micro factory, and I agree, I've been hearing more indications of consumers wanting more localized products. It allows them to get the product faster, but then there's also this idea of being able to, I guess, have more leeway in, in the way of customizing the product, ensuring that it's exactly what they want. So I mean, what other tech is, do you think, a influencer or an enabler of this better way of doing things for your space specifically? Yeah, I mean, because of the way that we are doing additive manufacturing and, and the way that it works is that you know, through the technology, especially I'll just take 3D printing, you know, we can have one individual that's operating four or five different 3D printers at one time. So it's almost, if you think about it, it's like a 3D printing farm, like in the same way that you would see servers in a large server farm. And so that technology then allows us, one, to, it's not as labor intensive, but at the same time, it also allows us then to manufacture in the U.S. So it can allow us, or, or domestically, wherever we would be operating. And so then you can actually bring more jobs back, which is also kind of great from a manufacturing sector. You can raise and pay people more and you're beyond a living wage. And I think that's also kind of very kind of powerful. But the other technology is obviously through mobile technology, you know, how people are ordering products. Our whole idea is that through all of this automated production, our turnaround times are three to five weeks. So you're hearing all of these horror stories of everything that's taking so long, and we can deliver that in about a month, and not six months. Even pre-pandemic, still customized orders were taking four plus months, right? And so you, one of our value propositions is being able to kind of cut down on that and get people products to their homes you know, in a much more convenient kind of way. And um, I think there's a, there's a whole host of things that, that help that. It's the technology in the entire supply chain that makes that possible. Yeah, it's really incredible. So I saw recently that model number launched its own marketplace, which is also very exciting. We've been hearing so much about marketplaces, retailers starting their own, others venturing into marketplaces, selling on them. So what was the inspiration behind that? And how does this 
model or strategy kind of play into the notion of being able to get that product to the consumer in the best, most efficient way possible? Yeah, for us, when I looked at in the landscape and the things that we're doing and our capabilities, we are right now set up to manufacture what I would kind of call hard goods, right? So hardwoods, our 3D printed elements, and we do, we've got dining room furniture. I'll take the dining room, for example. So today we make dining room tables, we make dining room chairs, we make a credenza. What we don't do is we didn't make flatware, glassware, tableware, things of that nature. Nor do I see that as something that we were gonna do anytime soon. As a small company, you know, that would be very challenging for us to do. But at the same time, we, I was recognizing that there were so many great small makers out there that were taking other kind of sustainable elements that had, I think, a very similar kind of mission to what we were doing, kind of more small batch, handcrafted type of products and said, well, gosh, let's round that out. Like, why, not, why shouldn't we be partnering with these brands? We can go in, we can vet them, we can carry them on our site. So when a consumer comes, they have an end-to-end -end solution. So if you, you buy a table, well, you know what? You can buy a flatware from from Liberty, which is the only US-made stainless steel silverware or flatware company in the in the United States, right? So we, we work with them, so you can find them on our website. You know, we work with a company called Neutral that's using recycled glasses to make these really beautiful glassware that's available. So it's like bringing all of these different kind of brands together, you can then now all of a sudden, as a consumer, outfit your entire dining room experience without having to leave the site. And so, what we've done is it's, it's kind of done through a dropship method. So we, don't, again, don't carry the inventory because it minimizes our inventory risk. And uh, once the consumer orders that, then it gets fulfilled directly from the maker themselves. And so that's really the beauty of what we see kind of with the marketplace and where that's headed. So I want to ask about the vetting process because I'm always curious to hear how companies curate partners to like bring that mission to life. So what does that process look like for a model number right now? Yeah, there were a couple of different things that we looked at because our marketplace at this point doesn't carry thousands of products. You know, we had the ability to go in and to probably put a little bit more care and attention, I think, to things. And and originally said one thing is that the product had to be manufactured domestically because that's how we're we're doing our things. And so that was a a must. And then we looked at you know we we interviewed or I shouldn't say interviewed we you know we we spoke and had conversations with all of the makers. In some cases, it was companies, maybe one or two individuals. Others maybe larger companies, but really had the opportunity to talk and understand their mission. Was it aligned with what we were trying to do? Did it kind of have the same? We had the same ethos, and I think doing that, we had like certain criteria and that we were able to kind of check off. And once we did that, we said, yeah, these were brands that we felt comfortable with, both from a product quality standpoint, as well as really felt like their their mission was authentic. And now a word from our sponsor. Retail is embarking on a new digital-driven era. What new opportunities await for your business? What new ideas are just waiting to be discovered? You can find it all at the 2021 Retail Innovation Conference. We're going digital again. For two jam-packed days of tactical sessions, thought-provoking discussions, and AI-powered matchmaking and mentoring sessions with some of retail's brightest minds. Join executives from Neiman Marcus, Adore Me, and Crate and & Barrel for one of the industry's top events on all things innovation. Register for free. Yeah, you heard that right. At RetailInnovationConference.com. That's RetailInnovationConference.com. Through the course of our conversation, Philip, we've been able to hit on new cutting-edge tech, but then also the very 
thoughtful nature of what it means to be like a mission-driven brand. And I think it just really speaks to how all of these worlds are starting to come together and how they influence and augment. So I guess that leads me to my closing few questions here around the evolution of the model number brand being the first one. Obviously, it's been a time of change for a lot of brands and retailers over the past 18 months. Have there been any notable points of growth or change for the brand that you think is indicative of your growth and your future as a business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we started in, I would say, kind of that B2C space, right? And we sell to consumers, we sell consumer home residential products, and that's something that we will continue to do. But really, I think we're the big, one of the bigger opportunities for us is on the B2B side. If you kind of look at things from a enterprise side, you know, what we kind of call our kind of model number environments is that there's so much opportunity in hospitality. If you look at the office space, eventually, you know, people will be going back into an office. And what's happening in that office space is that, you know, we've been talking to a lot of companies, they're starting to kind of reimagine what that looks like. What is, you know, because it's not going to be the office or necessarily just open workspaces, but you know, people want to work differently because they want that more kind of home-like feel. So how do you actually bring the home into the office to some extent, right? Because that's what people have been accustomed to for the last 18 months. And so we're, we're looking at that and working with companies to say, okay, you know what, you want a more sustainable option? Like we can provide that for you, right? We can, and then eventually when you're done with it, we'll take it back because one of the things I didn't talk about is that we can actually regrind all of our 3D printed elements because we, we, we just take it, we regrind it, and those are now raw materials. So we can create recycling programs, resell programs, all of these things that we're set up to do and work very closely with a lot of these you know, enterprise you know, brands. And so if you imagine, like I said, I just talked about hospitality and just the office, but now start thinking about retail, thinking about retail fixtures, right? We're at a trade show, right? I mean, think about taking a, a trade show booth being able to, all the amount of waste that's going to get scrapped and thrown into a dumpster at the end of this, you know, like if you can start to take those things and build them so that they're reusable or recyclable or circular, there's a huge opportunity. And that's where I think we see our businesses both on the residential as well as on the commercial side. That's fascinating. And it's interesting because as you go through that vision and the possibilities, it's like more possibilities unfold, if that makes sense. It's like, oh, like I'm really starting to see the opportunity and could there be an incentive program for people participating in these programs? And how do we encourage that? positive behavior, which is, is very fascinating. So very excited to see what else you guys have coming down the pipeline. But to close out our conversation, Philip, I always like to ask our guests about lessons learned and I guess any sort of closing tips or recommendations for peers. We have a lot of executives listening right now. I'm sure a few, quite a few of them are taking note of the innovative things you guys are doing. So any closing recommendations around whether it's mission-driven business or um, tech innovation, wherever you want to go, yeah. share it. Yeah, I think two things. No, it's, it's great. I mean, look, I've learned uh, a lot, in, you know, in being, I kind of left the corporate world and have been more kind of on the entrepreneur side, right? I mean, you, you stumble and you make a lot of mistakes. I think it's just about being resilient and, and understanding, trying to ensure that you're not making those mistakes. But one of the areas, you know, and I've talked a lot about all of these grandiose plans and the vision and the things we have, but it's also within that, it's around focus, right? So I think there's a lot of things which I'll throw out to my executive team that I don't necessarily share with the rest of the team, not because I don't want to be transparent with them. It's just we have to work through some of that stuff first before we kind of say, hey, like we're going we're gonna to run with this because you can easily lose focus when you're a small company and you have all these ideas, but you have a very finite number of resources. And so I think for us, 
one of the, the important things, and I would say to anyone out there, is that understand, like you may have this long-term goals and the visions and things you want to do and you want to move fast, but at the same time, like you have to be focused. You have to make sure that your team is 100% focused and, and kind of sitting down and, and outlining maybe two or three objectives and the things you want to kind of go after. I think you always have to have that vision and, and kind of forward thinking because you need to make sure that once the competition kind of catches up with you, is you're zigging, zagging, there's, you know, yeah, like, yeah you, you basically <laughs> have, to, you have to go the other way, right? I mean, you have to get to that point where like, you know, you've, once they're like kind of emulating what you're doing and trying to maybe kind of copy something, you've already built that roadmap for the future, but you're just being kind of mindful of like how you're executing and the timelines that you're kind of doing against that. And I, I'd say that's really probably one of the most important things is that you can have a lot of great big ideas, but at the same time, you also need to have, I think, a strategy and a focus behind them. Yeah. No, great way to close out. It's been fascinating to have so many different conversations, but all of them kind of ladder back to this notion of being flexible, but also being <laughs> mindful of the decisions that are being made and making sure that it not just makes sense for the business, but for the customer as well. So. Yeah, I think there's just a level of consciousness, I think, that, that's just important that you have that comes out. And it's, you know, there's in the way that you think about kind of how you treat your, your teams, how you work with your partners, it's one large kind of ecosystem. And I think, you know, for us, it's, it's really about that level of just mindfulness um, in the way that we think about our, our business. And that's kind of permeates throughout the whole kind of, I would say, ecosystem within it. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is very clear just in our conversation right now, but also being a innocent bystander, yeah. I guess you could say. <laughs> so, uh, Philip, thank you again so much for taking the time. Yeah. It was great to meet you, see yeah, the likewise. man behind the work. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, fantastic. I thank you for having me. And uh, to all of you listening right now, if you liked our conversation today or have a follow-up question for Philip, we'd love to make those conversations happen. Drop us a line on Twitter at our touchpoints or on LinkedIn at Retail Touchpoints. And of course, if you like what you heard, shameless plug, we would love to hear what you have to say. Drop us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or frankly, everywhere else. And if you haven't already, subscribe. Every week, we will have a new conversation delivered directly to your preferred device. And yeah, we'd love to be there. Thanks again, everyone. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.